You're listening to the National Trust podcast. I'm Alan Power. I'm a head gardener for the National Trust. In this season, I'm thrilled to be your guide through some stunning gardens all around the country. My colleague James Grasby, who you met last month, will be taking you around some of our world-class collections. And also, Kate Martin will be walking you through some of the wild and windswept landscapes managed by the Trust. In this episode, I'm heading to Sheringham Park in North Norfolk. This expansive parkland was bought by the wealthy Upshire family in the early 19th century and was passed down through generations before it came into the care of the National Trust in the 1980s. Sheringham Park spans a thousand acres of woodland, parkland and clifftops sculpted by one of history's most celebrated landscape designers, Humphrey Repton, 200 years ago. I can't wait to see it, so let's go. So I'm on the North Norfolk coast today and it certainly feels like I am because there's a northerly wind kind of howling off the sea at the moment. Even though I'm surrounded by trees, I can still sense and smell the sea in the distance. You can almost feel the salt in the wind and the moisture-laden breezes that are coming in. But I think for me, what's beautiful about where I am is the diversity in the plant collection. As a gardener, I can already see that this is not just the edge of a woodland of native plants and trees, but there's something very, very special here. So I'm going to try and meet Keith Zealand in a moment. And Keith is the countryside manager at Sheringham. He's been here for years, so I'm hoping that he's going to help unpick some of the secrets behind this place for me today. Keith, Alan, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. How are you? Nice to see you. I'm in your hands. You know, show me this wonderful world. The estate at Sheringham, it's an internationally recognised landscape, very important to the nation. It comprises farmland and woodland with the park situated in between. A parkland, certainly a historic parkland, is an area of grass mostly, which is usually in front of the big house. It is surrounded by a fence, but the fence is often tucked underneath the trees so that you don't see it, and the trees overhang and the cattle browse along it, and which looks uh, entirely natural, and you don't see the man-made fencing. And within the park, there are areas of trees dotted around quite widely spaced, often in strategic places where views are had from different areas of the park. At Sheringham, it goes right down to the sea. We have the sea cliffs and the coastal strip, the beach. We've got some ancient woodland and we have areas of heathland as well. There are paths crisscrossing it everywhere. It connects to quite a lot of other the countryside around, so it's a good place to be travelling through as well as to. The estate at Sheringham is massive, but today we'll only have time to explore little bits and pieces of it. I wish we all had ten days to explore the whole place there's something very very special here and because my eyes tend to read the landscape rather than just look at it I can tell that somebody has engineered this landscape somebody has helped create something very very significant and very special here and I know that that person was Humphrey Repton. Humphrey Repton he lived in Norfolk and he spent some time quite nearby here and he knew the landscape very well 
He had retired from a career in the textile industry and took up landscape gardening quite late in life. And he managed to get some commissions locally from Norfolk landowners, and then his career really took off. The Upture family owned this estate. They came here in, in 1811. Repton, he came about a year later. He found in Abbott and Charlotte Upture kindred souls. They had a social conscience and uh, were very interested in the state of the nation. It's described as a meeting of minds, and Repton certainly paid several visits to Sheringham. For a long time, Keith, people had built these kind of ostentatious, money was no object, big, iconic gardens, and almost as a statement, but the atmosphere behind Sheringham was quite different, wasn't it? It was. To understand Sheringham and the design at Sheringham, you really have to understand a little of the history of the time. The world was really in turmoil. We have a situation where the Prime Minister had just been assassinated by a businessman with a grudge. His Majesty King George was apparently going mad. The Prince Regent, who had a very extravagant lifestyle and apparent disinterest in the way the country was being run. There was very high prices for food. The ordinary people were finding it very difficult even to buy bread. There was defences being put up all around the country for protection against an invasion by Napoleon. And there was a very real sense in the country of the time that should the forces of Napoleon set foot on the beach, the local people might actually just swap sides and bring down the country. So there was a real unrest and concern amongst the uh, upper classes that the country could easily be lost. So the design at Sheringham is against that backdrop and, and certainly the discussions between the Upchers and Repton, which you can see in Upchers' diary, is that there was a need to try and redress the balance a little and give people access to the estate for perhaps coming to collect firewood or even just for their own air and exercise. And it was really meant to make sure that the people in charge were sort of beginning to understand the situation and plight of the poor and uh, make provision in that regard. And, of course, since the property's come to the National Trust, it's now sort of open dawn till dusk every day, so it's really been taken to its logical conclusion. As we came through the park, it was lovely to see people truly enjoying the place, you know, walking their dogs, you know, enjoying the views and, you know, maybe understanding a little bit of what we can see just as we arrive at this window, you know, this natural window on this hillside looking out to sea. For anybody's well-being, no matter whether you understand garden history or not, that, you know, that's a scene that's uplifting, you know, it's good for your soul. At Sheringham, Humphrey Repton borrowed miles and miles of landscape from beyond the boundary 
of the estate. Uh, so we've got spectacular views up and down the coast here, going into 10, 20 miles away. It does hark back, doesn't it, to that lovely expression that all nature is a garden, you know, throw down your garden fences, and that's exactly what Repton did. As you come down the drive, there are two or three places where there's a little glimpse between trees. You can see on the left-hand side of this one, there's a great row of old sycamore trees, goes down the hill towards the park, and it's, it's clearly been contrived to direct your eye immediately right where you get this view across the park and across the farmland beyond and then uh, right across into the North Sea where there's actually nothing until you get to the north coast of Russia. Keith Repton was obviously a big figure here and we've just been passed by a couple of walkers and visitors to Sheringham. How are you as a team trying to share the story of Repton at Sheringham at the moment? Well, one way we're doing that is with 2018 being the 200 years since Repton died, we've got a programme of events to celebrate the life of Repton and the work he's done at Sheringham and in Norfolk. So the best thing I can do, I think, actually, is to hand you over to Malcolm Fisher, who's the visitor service manager, because he's got lots of things planned. I'm Malcolm Fisher, I'm the Visitor Experience and Retail Manager here. Many things going on here. We have a series of guided walks here, which happen a couple of times every month. We've also got the International Garden Photographer of the Year exhibition coming here in September and October, which is featuring a category which we sponsored last year on Repton landscapes. So there will be Repton images of landscapes right across the country being displayed here in September and October. We have a history weekend here in July, which Repton will be featured in as well. But most exciting of all is the Repton Light Show, which is happening in the first two weekends of November. It's the biggest event that we've ever done here. And what we're attempting to do is show the Repton features of the landscape here with lights. What we want to do is just raise the profile of Humphrey Repton. He's generally not that well known, but he is a really important figure in landscape gardening. And we just feel that if people knew the story of Repton, it would just add an extra layer to the enjoyment of a visit to somewhere like Sheringham Park. If you're interested in any of those events, you can head to our website www.nationaltrust.org.uk forward slash Sheringham Park. Or of course you can give us a ring on 01263 820 550. Humphrey Repton's vision remains as fabulous today as it was 200 years ago. Sheringham Park is definitely worth a visit at any time of year to see the sculpted swathes of heath and woodland. But as spring turns into summer, the garden has something else very special to offer. I'm off to meet Graham Brennan to have a look. Well, my name's Graham Brennan. I'm the Ranger Horticulturalist here. I wear two hats. I'm responsible uh, with a lot of the rest of the, the team here looking after the park, but also my baby is really the wild garden. And uh, this is where we're going to head off now down the main drive and have a look at the, uh, the display. Left-hand side of the drive just come into appearance mm. of these stunning rhododendrons. Mm. Rhododendrons are a group of plants, generally flower in spring, but you can get them flowering right from Christmas right through until the end of August. The most amazing array of colours, from bright white right through to kind of deep purple, deep reds, 
and you know the yellows are brilliant yellows as well some of them scented some of them not scented at all generally the ones that aren't scented are huge and blousy because they don't really need that scent to attract the insects and then the azaleas amongst them which kind of form part of that family as well have these amazing scents i really like them because they they change a garden completely for five or six weeks of a year and then they fade away and the and the evergreen structure of the plant will become part of the structure of the garden so you can get rhododendrons that will be knee height you know compact really compact knee height you can get rhododendrons like this big white one behind us that is possibly three meters tall or you can get ones like arboreum which can grow up to probably five or six meters tall I love them. I mean, you can't you can't not love them, really. I mean, obviously, there's the the, the invasive rhododendron ponticum has got a lot to answer for, or well, certainly the people who planted it have. And it, but that in itself is an attractive plant. There's no getting away from it. Beautiful yellows. Don't often see many big yellow rhododendrons like that. They're they're quite a treat. And then there's a pink poking out from the side as well so we're obviously going from you know the drive to somewhere much more ornamental at this yes, stage it's where, the, it's where the real garden actually yeah. begun it's a lot of native trees here and it was obviously it was just native uh, trees originally and the the about 1850 uh, the up just started planting planting rhododendrons and other exotics here and this is a lot of the you know the original plants we see as well as all the others that have been planted you know, sort of generations after that probably about 65 species and it's over 250 varieties uh, alone of, of rhododendrons. Uh, they weren't catalogued when we came here so we didn't and the trust didn't really know exactly what they were getting into. They knew it was a fine Repton Park and a good collection but it wasn't until they sort of hacked through a lot of the overgrown ponticum that they actually found what we have here and they realised it was actually probably better than they thought originally so it just got better and better. So that was a really exciting yeah. find. Absolutely it must have been almost like reenacting plant hunters who found the plants originally. Yeah. If only I was there back then at that time, it would be great, but it was like a little taster of it. Okay, well we're coming up now to an area just shortly uh, up here to incorporate some of the plants that Wilson uh, reputedly brought into the country. This character Wilson, Ernest Wilson, he was, he was a dedicated, amazing plant hunter, wasn't he? He's responsible for an awful lot of the beauty we see in gardens nowadays. And we're surrounded here at Sheringham by a lot of his introductions, aren't Certainly. we? Most people have probably got some kind of a Wilson plant in their garden, some 2,000 plants he was responsible for. Although we haven't got any real records, when the Trust bought the property there wasn't any real records of where the plants came from, uh, we know that uh, Wilson was sponsored by many large estates to introduce plants to this country and many of the plants we have here are those which Wilson introduced. But we couldn't actually put them to him directly, but uh, we, we certainly know that they are plants that he introduced and they found their way here. He was an interesting character in, in many respects. He was very determined and in many of his trips in China he had whole collections of things wiped out by rivers or they were lost for whatever reason he, in, uh, and I mean, counting bandits and he was determined and he was, a, you know, an intrepid plant hunter. When the Upchers bought the property, the rhododendrons were just beginning to come in. So I think they probably were getting catalogues and saying, oh, we'll have one of those and one of those and one of those. And, you know, it's very, very easy and started building up the collection. So has there, has there been quite a 
a change in use of the property? You know, was, all, was every generation interested in the plants? Or did they use it for kind of socialising and showing off and that kind of thing? Well, there's certainly a certain amount of showing off. They would come up here from the hall and have rhododendron parties where the ladies would dress in their long dresses and, and wear wellingtons and they'd sip champagne and have a lovely time. Oh, I like the sound of that. We might try that. Why not? You'd have to get your wellies on and yeah. get out there and get the ladies with their dresses. And apparently that's what they did. And you can just see it now, can't you? Just, you know, having a long summer evenings. It was just, you know, to, not everybody had this. So you would bring your guests here and they'd be very impressive. This is Arboreum. This is from Nepal, National Flower of Nepal. And, uh, and it's, it's in full flower and absolutely looking, looking marvellous, I think. That's got to be one of the early ones. Yeah, well, really early ones. Arboreans, as far as I can tell, were some of the first species to be brought in, and these have probably got to be some of the first in the country. Yeah. They are just so massive. I mean, we've got quite a few, but these, are, these little cluster here are probably some of the largest. The lovely thing about these is not only you get the flower on the on the plant itself, but when the when the, the petals drop, you get this wonderful pink carpet below. So it's a win-win situation with this. So uh, we, are, we are standing in, in what's like a mini forest, aren't we? So there's these kind of naked stems of grey, brown bark that's towering upwards. And then above us are these amazing kind of pink flowers that they must be seven, seven metres, you know, seven metres tall. When the plant hunters went to Nepal and India and saw these plants in maturity, they described them when they came back, but now we're actually, we're seeing what they saw. You know, we're seeing it mature and we're seeing it as fantastic and, you know, we're getting the experience that they had. So what brings you to Sheringham today? Well, we've just come for a nice day out. We'll picnic and uh, we thought we'd come and have a look at the rhododendrons and the so fab. You were expecting to see this wonderful display today, yes, were you? Yes, yes. Did you have any favourites as you walked around? Um, there was a place where they were all different colours together. Orange, pink, white. That was pretty amazing, wasn't it? And over there, there's like a carpet of petals on the ground. So that's really well, lovely. The kind of purpley, pinky petals. Yeah, yeah, yeah I saw yeah, that too. Yeah. It was really, really nice, wasn't it? Do you come a couple of times while the rhododendrons I've only been once or? before, actually, yeah. um, and I'd forgotten how fabulous it was. So, yeah, I will nice, definitely nice, come again. Nice to come back and remind yourself. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm now on my way to the bower to meet one of the volunteer gardeners in that area. And I'm just approaching the bower, and it's this amazing kind of hidden wooden structure, hidden inside a lot of shrubs like cornice and hazel. But the structure is a secluded room, almost like an outdoor room with seating inside. And here's Rose inside sitting, waiting for us. Hi, Rose, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. My name's Rosemary Thuraday. I've had links with this park for 20 years. And I volunteer here now half a day a week to keep the formal garden and the century garden in a fit state for the public. So, Rose, your um, links for 20 years, it's a very throwaway comment that you made. <laughs> Having links with someone for 20 years, it's quite a long relationship, it is. isn't it? Uh, 20 years ago, when I was going through my divorce, I needed to escape and I came to do conservation work in the park with a volunteer group. It was the cutting down the trees, lighting bonfires, 
it was just pure escapism and it really got me through quite a difficult time. I then went off and did work, as you do, and came back when I semi-retired. I came back here a couple of years ago and did a summer season in the visitor centre. So I keep coming back for some unknown reason. I just love the place. The people are fantastic. And when the opportunity came up to do some gardening, which I love anyway, this was ideal. Um, it's less cutting down trees. We're now planting them rather than cutting them down, so it's, it's good. It's <laughs> really, really nice. It, it feels like it has quite a strong emotional attachment for you. Yeah, That's it, a really it, nice. it does, and lots of the people have been here a long time, so they just feel like old friends. So when I came back to do this, it was really good. So I've got old friends and new friends, and the small group of us on a Friday morning, we seem to have bonded really well, we like the same things, we have a good laugh... We do do some work occasionally, <laughs> as you can see, hopefully. Well, I was going to say, by the looks of it, you do quite a lot of work, we Ross. Do. I think a lot of people come to Sheringham expecting a garden, and what they find is a park because it's a landscape garden. So if people say, well, where are the flowers? We encourage them to come into here. This more formal planting area is the only formal planting area in the park. is called the sensory garden to give people the chance to experience the, the smell, the touch and the feel of plants. And the idea is, as you walk around, just to crush the leaves between your hands, feel them, touch them, look at them, it's just, just glorious. As you can see, everything's coming through beautifully at the moment. This is the leaves, I can't stop stroking these leaves, I think they're absolutely wonderful. It's sort of velvety, really, isn't yeah, it? Would you say velvety? Kittens are dog's ears, isn't it? Yes, that, absolutely, that, that kind of spot on, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, glorious thing. But just, this, this is the one, isn't it? Look at the bark on this. Well, it's, it's like a polished mahogany, isn't it? It feels like satin, you just have to touch it. The bark really. peels, and when you see these bits of bark peeling off it, underneath is that beautiful, shiny. Yes. Yeah. yes, it's lovely, lovely thing. It's yeah. Prunus cerula, That's the one. which is the paper and shiny barked yes. cherry. It can look a bit odd sometimes. When you know these trees and you walk past them and somebody's looking at you stroking these trees, <laughs> you, what, what are they doing? Yes, I am not a tree hugger, but this one this I'm one, very happy yeah. to hug because someone like this gives me personally a structure to my life. And Friday is the day that I always look forward to because one, I'm in a wonderful environment, I'm working with some lovely people, and of course, it's all my small part to help the trust. I mean, it, it's got to stay forever, because without the trust, these places just wouldn't be here. And I think it's so important. This, of course, is the other lovely bit. This is one of the most healthiest ponds you will ever see. Hundreds of tadpoles, and if you look carefully, newts, big newts, loads of newts, um, they have, we have those lovely stripy beetles in here as well, but they're probably under the leaves. But if you pond dip in here, you'll probably get 10 or 15 different species in one net. It's amazing. And you can see the bird live long tail tip. Just at the top there, look. Yep. And we do have a friendly robin that we feed every Friday morning. The minute we wheel our wheelbarrow, it arrives and we put mealworms down for it. So, so that's another one of our team, you see. All sorts of lovely things happen here. Soothes my soul to be here. It makes life um, have a purpose. Back to nature, isn't it? It's been an amazing day 
today at Sheringham. I think when you visit a place, you have to uncover the voice of the place that you're in. I've met Humphrey Repton again, and you know he's very, very present in the landscape here. I've crept through the rhododendrons with the head gardener Graham here, looking at you know some of the rhododendrons and the plants. We've discussed plant hunters and Wilson and the impact he had. But really, what what has happened for me towards the end of the day is the whole place has fallen fallen together. You know the jigsaw of Sheringham, and I've really, really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the National Trust podcast. Join us in two weeks' time when we'll be looking at how the landscape at Sheringham Park was transformed by World War II. Don't forget to subscribe to the series and do give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I look forward to our next adventure and I hope you'll join me. Until then, goodbye.